Not allergic, I just don't like them. Uh, welcome back to River Heights Radio. I'm Carl Hauser. And I'm Hope Busby. We're once again coming at you from the River Heights Gymnasium, excited to talk about that... Life-saving. Matt Macon. Beast sketching. Bitch hiking. Goose, goose detective. detective. Nancy, Nancy Drew. Drew. <laughs> that self, self-declared... She calls herself the goose. So this is a book that was not very changed between the original and the updated version we read. Tastes original. It does. I I think that the Nancy is that helpful, wild, impulsive girl that I like a lot better than the new Nancy. Right the wrongs, but not necessarily catch the criminals. So the plot of this book is very Treasure Island adjacent. I think could be like an alternative version of the Treasure Island. So there's not much to the plot. You got Muppet Treasure Island, Treasure Planet, and now we got Nancy Drew and the quest of the missing map. They make up for their lack of plot with a wide array of strange characters and every single plot device that Nancy Drew is known to employ. So we have included with this episode a bingo card on Instagram. Check our Instagram. You can use these in the future as well. Nancy Drew Bingo. Could easily be changed into some kind of game, drinking or otherwise. The first line of this book is about her golden red hair blowing in the wind. Nancy comes into the house overhearing Hannah Gruen talking to a stranger in the other room about a mysterious story. (gasps) The book says that the mere mention of a mystery quickened Nancy's pulse. Hannah is definitely, I I feel like Nancy's social consultant at this point. If she's going to meet someone for a mystery, it's going to be through Hannah. Nancy's hobby of the book is apparently drawing figures and faces. She's in art school for it. She says, as a child, I always filled in the O's in magazines and newspapers. She jokes that her dad wants her to turn that to good account. Well, you know she had a lot of newspapers to fill in because (laughs) we found out last book that her dad buys like 20 newspapers newspapers for every case every time he travels which is every book on every book yeah so uh hannah who the book says is almost a member of the family i'm so glad she's almost there now (laughs) in the other room ready to hook nancy up with a new client ellen smith and apparently hannah used to work for the smith family ellen smith recalls fondly that hannah would teach her children's songs inspiring her to love singing so much that she made it her career she's in music school Nancy confides in her, My mother died when I was only three. Hannah Gruen, weird to call her by her full name. The whole thing. (laughs) Has taken care of me ever since. She's like a member of the family. Ellen, I know what you mean. No, you don't. No, you don't. She was taken care of. You did the math. Maybe like five years by Hannah. At most, Ellen, who's... Two years older than Nancy, had five years with Hannah. So not only do you not really know what it's like to have her as a member of the family, but, like, your mom's not dead? Yeah, her parents were just traveling for the first five years of her life, which isn't great for your formative years, but, like... But still, don't... When someone says, my mom died, don't be like, oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah. yeah. I get that. (laughs) Ellen is another college girl. This is who she reminds me of, is Helen. Because there's a lot less George and Bess in this book. Uh, You've got... 
such a similar name. More reasons than that. She's uh, <laughs> she's the college girl. She's very I want to say milk toast, but she's like just there as a as a plot device and an heiress. And also has like these qualities of both Bess and George. Yeah, the classic attractive dark haired girl in need of Nancy's help. And she may be an heiress. An heiress is perfect because it means that you're in trouble, but don't worry, you're not going to be poor or anything. So Nancy wants to hear more about this case, but all Owen wants to talk about is their common interest in art. I hate it when I want to learn about buried treasure, but my friend just wants to talk to me about art. Common interests. Yeah. (laughs) Like, stop bonding with me. I'd like to know your mystery. (laughs) We do find out that Ellen came for money, but her father lost it all, maybe? They're having a temporary setback. It's this perfect thing where her family has a big house, can send her to college, but now she needs money, but because she's an heiress later, she won't. Her dad has been in a car accident, and he's recovering in bed, but boy does he have a story to share with Nancy Drew. That's right, we finally hear the mysterious story of Ellen's family from her father, who grew up on the sea with his father, the captain, and his twin brother. But when the ship that they were on began to sink and his dad was, I don't know, like dying or something on the ship. Has to go down with the ship. He brought the twins into his bedroom and he ripped a map in half. And he said, Yar, uh, <laughs> there's a family treasure. Uh, this map leads to it. We got a map to bury treasure like you do. You can't find, you need both halves of the map. That means you have to share the treasure. Because I guess he was like, my boys don't like each other. <laughs> and and then they put these twins in separate escape rowboats and send them to separate parts of the world <laughs> in like the craziest sister-sister action I've ever heard of. So this guy got adopted, changed his name to his adopted family's name, and never found his twin brother again. So he got half a map, no treasure, and a brother that he wishes he could find. That whole treasure thing is a long shot. Ellen kind of needs a job in the meantime, which is why she's come to see Hannah. She wants her to accompany her to a job interview to make sure the place is legit. Yeah, the conceit is that Nancy's going to investigate a spooky place that Ellen has been hired to work at. Because she's used to dealing with strange people. That's what Hannah says, yeah. It's a mother and daughter. She's to teach the daughter piano. Nancy says, sure, I'm willing to go. Ellen says, oh, I'd be really grateful. The place and the people have an air of mystery about them, and that scares me. But you know that thrills Nancy. Yeah, they get out of the car, and Ellen says, It's really creepy. Nancy retorts, no, it isn't. So we get to meet Mrs. Chatham and Trixie. All right. So Mrs. Chatham is this over-the-top Karen of a woman. (laughs) Just too much, overbearing, and just really mean to this child who is supposedly unruly, but mostly she just kind of talks back to this woman who keeps saying mean things to her. It's very strange how they set her up because this is one of those characters who right off the bat you're not supposed to trust, but very quickly becomes a nice person. Nancy hangs out with Trixie. The little girl says, no one can tell me what to do. And Nancy goes, I think you've heard your mother say that a few too many times. No more talk of being naughty. It's just so bold to, like, criticize the mother to the child. Right off the bat. 
She wins over this child with a funny limerick who instantly doesn't want Ellen to babysit her, wants Nancy instead. All these like weird character dramas are set up, but none of them pan out. As Nancy's walking along with Trixie, they came, come upon a cottage, and Nancy's like, oh. And the girl's like, oh, no, never go there. That's a horrible place. It's haunted. Haunted. And Stay Nancy's out. like, wanna bet? <laughs> Let me prove to you it's not haunted. Trixie runs away. There's no reason for Nancy to be rifling through these people's extra houses, but here we are. <laughs> she finds inside a mysterious piano because she plays the keys and it doesn't work but later it does work it's not that interesting it turns out that there's like a secret button to turn it off <laughs> and it comes up a few times as this super mysterious thing but reader it's it's a button the other weird thing that happens is she sees in the mirror a man behind her the wall slides open and this man tells her to never come back he has a beard as all bad men do, and cruel beady eyes. Get out of here! Hey, hey, hey! You get out of here! <laughs> the other creepy thing, I find this creepy. <laughs> model ships everywhere. It's a weird hobby. It's above, I would say it's above having a model train, mm -hmm. but it's below, like, Legos. <laughs> so the, the, it's called the ship's cottage because it's filled with ships uh, that, what, Miss Cadam's first husband collected, and now they're just in storage. Nancy walks away from this place thinking, I've never believed in ghosts and I refuse to do so now. All the same, there's something very queer about this place. So uh, Nancy wants to make sure the place is good for this girl she just met. So who better to ask than daddy? Carson, who is busy as always with the case, does make time to kiss his daughter and have a little chat about the fact that he does not recommend that Ellen works at such a mysterious place. Through her dad, Nancy learns that this house used to belong to an improbably named man, Silas Norse, <laughs> who was an inventor that installed all sorts of piano muting keys and sliding trap doors. That's a good reason not to work at a place. This all seems like it might be a plot line. It's just a distraction. Silas Norse and everything to do with him. Uh, it's just an easy way to get one secret room into a house. Carson tells Nancy she cannot go there alone. And he tells Nancy to have Ellen stall on accepting the job offer. We gotta really investigate this place. <laughs> Nancy goes to Ellen's performance to see what all the hubbub is about. She ends up sitting next to the haughty Mrs. Chatham. Okay, and she sits next to Mrs. Chatham because though she brings Bess and George to this performance, she does not decide to sit with them, which I love. She specifically <laughs> says, oh, I see two spots up front. You guys sit there, and I will not. <laughs> so she goes and sits with Mrs. Chatham instead, who smiles very warmly at her, and all of a sudden Nancy likes her a lot better. Even though she was this weird, terrible mother in the beginning, now she's being friendly, so that's good enough. After the performance, Mrs. Chatham creates an exceedingly awkward situation by insisting that Ellen right there and then accept her job offer. 
Now, we'll talk about Miss Cadden's hiring practices later, but I suspect that Ellen is the first person to have ever not immediately said yes <laughs> to an employment offer by Mrs. Cadden. I further suspect that the reason she's so surprised that Ellen actually has talent is she's not used to skilled workers. She has never vetted <laughs> one worker in her life. <laughs> Luckily, Nancy saves this awkward situation and, you know, sucks up to Mrs. Chatham a little bit and Mrs. Chatham leaves. Bess immediately <laughs> says, I would not work for that woman. I don't know if you've ever seen Bess work. <laughs> and George says that that woman seems like a pain. She begrudgingly worked for Nancy at her summer job. I suppose that's true. <laughs> when Nancy goes to meet Ellen's family afterwards, they pass a man who's apparently named Rourke. Just was, leaving the house. Yeah, he was asking after the map. So after, when she sees him driving in his car, she takes it upon herself to follow him? Yeah, so to be clear, Nancy shows up. Uh -huh. Rourke is leaving. Uh -huh. She finds out through a whole conversation that he's trying to buy this map. And then when she leaves, he's still like, I don't know, two blocks away? Yeah. Like, you know when you pull over and you have to look up directions on your phone, but then you get pulled into, like, Reddit or TikTok or something? Yeah. That's what happened with this guy. Yeah. George was surprised. She commented that he was acting like the police were after him. And much is made of how suspicious he is looking behind his shoulder and things like that. But, like, have you been followed? Yes, you have, Nancy. What She's do you do? three times in this book or something. What? And every time she tries to lose them. But Rourke is better at it than she is because he dashes over the train tracks just before the train. Nancy did not like his looks. And Carson thinks he could be dangerous. Carson comes home from this long day at court. And Nancy says to him, I have something to show you. <laughs> And Carson's first guess is, is it a love letter from Ned Nickerson or is it from a new admirer? <laughs> now, like, this seems like joking at first, but then it, you have to ask, is that something Nancy usually shows her father? <laughs> Does she sit him down and be like, hey, look what these boys are writing to me? <laughs> when he sees that actually it's a map... Half a map. He says what we're all thinking. Treasure Island, Mr. Drew repeated in disbelief. You're joking. The incredulity is rampant. Nancy reassures him that this is just a drawing she made of the map, and the map itself is very genuine. We do find out through this book that a copy of a map is as good as the map. It comes up a lot. <laughs> Carson and Nancy fruitlessly search through an atlas, bonding the whole time over the fact that they can't solve anything. Nancy spends a day researching at the public library. The only thing she learns is about a strange lawsuit taken out against the inventor Silas Norris by a man named Spike Doty. Spike hurt himself on one of Norse's Home Alone-style traps or inventions or sliding doors and sued him, but as a trespasser, didn't win. As not just a trespasser, but thief. I have to say, in any detective story, the research at the library section is always my favorite. It's just like the most badass thing a detective can do. <laughs> yeah, we support libraries. Later, 
Nancy decides to spend some time with Ellen just to talk over the case and her father and the half a map. So she heads to Ellen's college to spend the night. Ellen, though, has to bring some costumes for home for a dress rehearsal tomorrow or something. So they decide to actually spend the night at Ellen's house. Unfortunately, when they get to Helen's house, they realize they don't have a key. Nancy's like, don't worry, we can break in. She literally says that. She's so used to this. <laughs> so they go around to the back, but somebody's beaten them to it. A man is climbing down a ladder that is leading up against the Smith's house, and Nancy tackles this man. The man says, let go, or I will get rough. Nancy defiantly says, I will not let go. At which point, he bodily lifts her and drops her on the ground, knocking the air out of her and running away. And unfortunately, he got away with the map. Yeah, Mr. Smith, upon seeing that his half of a treasure map's been stolen, says, why did he take that? <laughs> to which his daughter, uh, almost as smart a detective as Nancy, says, obviously to obtain the treasure. <laughs> Uh, Nancy feels that this proves the treasure map is real. Nancy draws the burglar from memory and with her newfound art skills. She's in art school. The police even compliment her on how well she did on this drawing. And what a beard! <laughs> they identify readily a man named Spike Doty. Spike Doty! I remember him from the library. <laughs> The cop says, ah, he's a sailor and a fairly good one when he's willing to work, which is just like a lot for this guy to editorialize on Spike Doty. And also a commentary on how close River Heights is to the ocean, I guess. Only one day's drive, remember? <laughs> Nancy sees a man and a woman after she talks to the police getting into their gray sedan. And she thinks, that's queer. I wonder if they had something to do with the burglary or if they just came to see this, like what's happening. I, to add on to that, there are like a bunch of people around. <laughs> yes. Like a crowd is gathered, but these particular ones, she's like, it's us. She can't see their license plate. It's too far away. And later, she finds them following her. But then the license plate is caked with mud. They're pretty good at this. <laughs> Nancy, after establishing for sure that they mean business and that they are chasing her, in fact, goes to a bus station where she figures there's lots of people around. These guys won't hassle me here. She sits at a table and begins to sketch a new copy of the map. In a very bold move, the woman from the gray sedan comes into the bus station and sits across the table from Nancy and just stares her down, basically. <laughs> so what follows is the most high-stakes running of errands <laughs> that I have ever read about. Nancy, determined to finish her sketch of the map out of eyesight, of this woman runs around town trying to stay around people where she figures she's safe, ends up in a department store's phone booth where she finishes the drawing, decides she needs to mail the original copy to her dad. Doesn't have a stamp. Does not have a stamp, so she has to go to the post office and mail this. Meanwhile, Ned, who she called when she got to the bus station, is on his way, so she heads back to the bus station to meet him, and she's almost back. If this podcast were doing just a little bit better, that would have been a perfect place for a Stamps.com advertisement. <laughs> when she's almost back, finally her purse gets stolen by these bad guys. Yeah, she's been around people this whole time, so finally they're like, just snatch the purse and run. <laughs> So now she's got to talk to the police. 
She doesn't want to tell them very much. But this is what she knows. The man had sandy hair and was very thin. The woman was of average height, rather heavy, and 35 years old. Exactly 35 years old. It's such a specific thing. <laughs> like, oh, about this high, about this fat, and 35. Anyhow, Ned has to uh, kind of wait in the quiet corner until it's his turn. Finally, she calls him over and she's like, here's the scoop. I don't like this version of Ned. Ah. I think it's still the Fancy Pants exclusive Ned. He tells her she only has 15 minutes to buy a new purse and get new, I assume, toiletries for the purse. It's so strange because she's headed to a dance with this guy later tonight. Yeah. He doesn't want to be late for the dance. He's begrudging about this. You got 15 minutes, I guess, to replace everything you have. Not only that, but I don't really like how Nancy is treated at the dance either. Now, this is a dance where her friends are not, because Bess and George were too busy to go to the dance, which for some reason means that Bert and Dave just aren't interested. Yes. So I love... They must be exclusive now, too. Yeah, I love that. When she shows up, apparently, and this is from the book, several of Ned's classmates gave Nancy admiring glances, and Ned exaggerated nods of approval. Hey! (laughs) Looks like you got a hot piece of Nance. Luckily, Nancy sees a chance to advance her case when she meets Bill Tomlin. Every Emerson College dance has someone who's pertinent to the case. Now, Ellen's dad is Tomlin Smith, but that's just his adopted name. His original last name was Tomlin. So she figures Bill Tomlin might be related to Ellen's dad. You know, it just occurred to me that Tomlin Smith kept his last name as a first name, but must have had a first name that he just dropped. Yeah, we don't. We never learn it. I think there's a reason these brothers could never find each other again. Both of them changed their names just because <laughs> they don't like them. Anyway, sorry, sorry. So is Tomlin Smith related to Bill Tomlin. And it's very likely Bill Tomlin does have an uncle who was a man of the sea. That sounds like some sort of innuendo, a man of the sea. Uh, Unfortunately, he tragically died. He tells her she can stop on her drive back to River Heights and meet his dad. At another department store. The elite department store. And talk to him about his uncle. She does eventually meet Bill Tomlin's dad, who shows her a bunch of seashells, which ends up being a clue, kind of, and tells her he will send her a photograph, which ends up being an identifying feature. Kind of. And tells her that he liked sea songs, collected them, and sang them, which she decides means he had a great voice and is an excellent clue. Kind of. Kind of. None of this really matters. I guess it helps confirm that the uncle of Bill Tomlin is, in fact, the twin brother of Tomlin Smith. We learned it in about three different ways. Yes. (laughs) Well, uh, meanwhile, at the dance, Nancy is called to preside over something that happens at the intermission of every dance, The pantomime. Oh, yes. Of course, the creepy pantomime where people are dressed up as demons. I can't imagine, but that the boys at this dance are just like groaning as the guy's (laughs) like, we're going to do the pantomime. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. (laughs) As is traditional, an attractive young lady is called to preside. Who else but Nancy Drew? So this pantomime goes as well as a pantomime can go. They put her in a white 
cloak and give her some kind of paper crown. crown. The lights go out and she's kidnapped. I can't think of a better way for a pantomime to go than for me to be taken away from it. Uh, Nancy thinks it's just part of the pantomime. So she just goes with the people. The MC doesn't know what to do, so he just says, oh yeah, she probably went for some fresh air. She doesn't smoke. That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So while the boys at Emerson College are trying to keep their frantic search for Nancy under wraps, Nancy is in a trunk. It's just the back seat. Was it? Mm-hmm. I read that wrong. I just assumed it was the truck. <laughs> Who turns out to be Fred and Irene Brown? Not very good villain names, in my own opinion. It's not memorable. <laughs> they are telling Nancy that she needs to give them the map now or there will be violence. Nancy says one of my favorite Nancy Drew lines ever, ever, ever. I'm not in the habit of carrying maps in party dresses. I mean, it's just gauche. (laughs) Now, Fred and Irene Brown are the couple that chased her earlier in their silver sedan and were watching the burglary. They're going to pop up throughout this book as villains who have nothing to do with the plot, but like desperately want to. They're sort of left out from the gang, even. So they're just trying really hard to be part of this. They're cool, too. Nancy pulls a classic kidnap victim move, hits Fred and Irene against each other, telling them that they're going to double-cross one another. (laughs) This works on Irene. It gives enough distraction for Nancy to throw herself from the car at the nearest stoplight. Now, Nancy knew that normally... It was unwise to signal strangers for a ride. Young listeners, remember, (laughs) hitchhiking gets you murdered. But this was an exceptional occasion. Unfortunately, the car she tried to wave down also knew picking up hitchhikers is not a good idea. In fact, the woman in the car (laughs) that she tried to flag down said to her husband, Don't pick up that girl. She's dressed like a ghost. (laughs) Nancy says, Please wait. I'm not a ghost. Wait, which first of all, this girl did not think you were a ghost. She just thought you were a weird hitchhiker dressed as a ghost. Secondly, Nancy apparently heard this as they were driving up or by. (laughs) It's like, good hearing Nancy. Windows wide open, presumably. Finally, it's just a white dress. It's not exactly nature cult robes. (laughs) Yes. So Nancy is given a ride by this couple. Back to Emerson College, where... Everyone's like, where were you? She's very adamant that they should keep it cool with everyone. Tell them this wasn't a kidnapping. I was just, it was part of the joke. Yeah, she doesn't want the cops to know because she wants her dad to know first. It didn't really make any sense. Unfortunately, Ned had already called the cops. So now he has to go call them and tell them, please don't come. (laughs) It was a false alarm. Sorry about that false kidnapping call. (laughs) So Nancy leaves Emerson College the next morning, the next morning, (laughs) saying to Ned, thanks a million. Ned, a sad boy again, says, gee, Nancy, I wish you could stay for lunch. Back home, Bess and George agree to go with Nancy to the Rocky Edge estate. That's Mrs. Chatham's estate. And uh, distract Mrs. Chatham, a woman they've never met, while Nancy finds her way into the cottage to investigate. Mrs. Chatham ends up being so amenable to any amount of searching or sleuthing that this is unnecessary. But I guess it's good they all showed up. Bess and George go to talk to Mrs. Chatham. Nancy discovers that the ship's cottage is, in fact, locked now. Sometimes people lock things. She says, 
what the heck? I'll, I'll go ask Mrs. Chatham for the key. The worst thing she could do is say no. She doesn't even end up having to ask for it. Mrs. Chatham just offers to bring her there. Yeah. And yes, on her way to the ship's cottage, she runs into Trixie, who is just frantically running away. Trixie apparently tends to run away, but this time there's a car coming, and Nancy narrowly saves her life. (laughs) George tells her laughingly, that's silly, there are no such things as ghosts. But she says, yes, there is. What else did I see? It had big, horrible eyes. Like a ghost. Nancy brings George aside and says, actually, George, I saw it too. Like, there's something weird going on in that house. It too. It's a panel, man. Yes. (laughs) Trixie manages again to annoy her mother. Her mom tries to get her to calm down, I guess a little less meanly this time, but Trixie takes it up a notch, saying, saying to her mother, if daddy were alive, I'd still be having fun. Such an awful thing to say, but such a kid thing to say. God dang, Trixie. (laughs) Cut to the core. Right to the quick. Nancy, luckily, is a psychologist. Yes, Nancy says, hmm, I think Trixie and her mother are both just lonely. (laughs) I love that she says that Trixie needs a friend, and that friend, not could be Nancy, but could be Ellen. Let's, Let's put that off on someone else. So Nancy figures out with Mrs. Chatham in the ship's cottage that her first husband collected seashells, mm-hmm. was a man of the sea, died at sea tragically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mrs. Chatham confides that she was only married to him for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she doesn't know much about things like his name or his status as a twin. Is anyone making a connection here? And, <laughs> and Nancy thinks, Actually, I kind of like Mrs. Chatham all of a sudden. Maybe I'll confide in her. And she says, you know, you guys should go on a vacation. That would be good for you. Mother-daughter bonding stuff, right? And Mrs. Chatham's like, well, maybe. And Nancy's like, how would you like to take a joy trip to a treasure island? And just like Mr. Drew and me and you, Mrs. Chatham says, you're joking. That's not the plot of this one, is it? Nancy's like, no, 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 not joking. And Mrs. Chatham's like, of course, I'll pay for everyone to go if we find the map. I want to be clear. When she says everyone, she means everyone. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Chatham's like, oh, I would love to go on this cruise to a, to a <laughs> treasure island. You should come, Nancy. You should bring Ellen. You should bring Ned. You should bring Bess. Bess should bring Dave. Dave should bring George. George should bring Bert. Anyone else? Not your dad. So there's a series of events that's mostly them finding hidden hiding places of like where papers are from her late husband. There's some complex antics during this part, such as Spike Doty goes running from the cabin or I mean the ghost. The ghost goes running from the cabin. It's Spike Doty. Uh, the cottage, and Trixie falls into a hole. It's a uncovered well that leads to a tunnel that leads to an invention of Scrotus Othemeyer. What was his name? I don't remember. Silas Norris. <laughs> it might explode at any moment. It has an envelope, like an inventory of his inventions in German. The envelope is taped to it saying, like, do not touch. Yeah, none of this matters. But we do find out that there's a secret room in the cottage. That's what this mainly leads to. Bess cannot fit through one of the entrances to the secret room, so she goes around to a different entrance to the secret room. 
So I feel like the secret room is pretty accessible. We know of at least two ways to get in. We know it's big enough for a storage area. It seems like it must be taking a path to cottage. (laughs) I know I get messed up about architecture, but someone should have noticed that this cottage only had room for a piano. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And like nothing else but some chips. (laughs) Mrs. Chatham goes to get the police. Nancy thinks to draw the footprint before the rain hits. And the police are like, oh, this is a very good clue. Looks like... Like Dodie's foot. That's right. Like Dodie's foot. That's a sailing foot. If I was, well, you could tell because there's one foot and one pig leg. <laughs> the important discovery that they have found in the cottage is that her first husband had a bank deposit box. We all know that's where the good stuff's kept. So there's a number of boring pages. Carson Drew is called upon to help Mrs. Chatham get her paperwork in order so she can go talk to the inheritance tax man. And then Mrs. Chatham has, like, spent so long out of society or something, she's nervous even to say anything to him. So Nancy just kind of takes point on this one. They stay in a hotel together. A lot of bonding goes on. Uh, All in all, the bank guy and the insurance tax man (laughs) open up the bank deposit box to find an envelope labeled Clue to a Treasure. The letter says that it's in the Warwick. Now, the Warwick was this other twin's ship that he sailed on. He said at one point a sailor tried to steal the map from his cabin on the Warwick, but only got a copy of it. So he moved the map from the Warwick to the Warwick. How does that make sense? It's a mystery. Oh, yeah. Nancy puts together. There's a bunch of model ships. One of those model ships might be the Warwick. Mm -hmm. How does that help? They raised home. There is no Warwick. I don't get it, Hope. What's going on here? Oh. The map might be. The map's in the miniature Warwick. (laughs) Now, uh, Mrs. Cadham, who has kept everything, it's clear that she's a hoarder, uh, sold this one. Yeah, she sold several of the model ships. Like 12 of them, but like the first person Nancy calls. Well, Nancy deduced that it was probably the cheapest. Why? Because it was like the smallest, most worthless one. He only had it because it was his ship. Okay. (laughs) All all the other ones were nice ass ships. Yes. (laughs) So Nancy drives, I don't know, an hour out of her way. Everything's 25 minutes to the town of Hope. Yes. Oh, we know Hope. That's just 25 minutes away. (laughs) Yes. We played them in football last year. Uh... Where she finds a gentleman who did buy the Warwick and says, oh, are you the people who put the ad in the paper who wanted to buy this ship? Apparently someone else believes the map might be in the Warwick. No, we're not from that ad. We think the Warwick could be a clue. And he's like, oh, well, then you can just friggin' have it. I wasn't going to sell the Warwick to the other people. I won't sell the Warwick to anyone. Oh, it's for a clue? You have it at price. (laughs) He says that he just was worried that the Warwick would be sold for a profit. And if not, then have it. Go. Go. Take the clue. (laughs) I don't get it. The girls decide to go have a picnic in the woods to celebrate. Because, obviously... Somebody is spying on them and hears Bess say, put it back in the model ship, let's just leave it in the car. Right. They've been followed by two individuals, you'll never guess, the friggin' Browns. But they set up this whole, like, creepy, there's a man watching the girls have a picnic, which is creepy. It's very creepy. And then they just name drop him at some point. They're like, yeah. oh yeah, Fred Brown looked at the girls and laughed. I think it was like a whole paragraph in 
in which it just switches from the girls' viewpoint to Fred and Irene Brown's as they're like, there's the girls, let's get that ship. <laughs> now, you would think the ship would be difficult to get because it's locked in the car. Bess cannot lock a car door. It's confusing, apparently. And she says to herself out loud, I'm sure it will be fine. After all, Nancy says to herself out loud, there could be no thieves in this lovely place. Yeah, don't worry, Bess, because at least Bess does tell Nancy, hey, I wasn't able to lock the door. She proceeds to eat a lot of sandwiches and potato salad and keep everybody too long. I hope that extra helping of potato salad was worth a treasure, Bess. And you guessed it, the boat was stolen. Nancy, though, reveals something that even we didn't know as readers. Nancy says, it's not too serious. And Bess says, what? Not serious? We lost the treasure? And let's not forget our wonderful vacation trip. Everyone's got messed up priorities. I think George says at one point to Bess when the boat's stolen, think of all the hours we spent looking for it. <laughs> like Time this, investment. <laughs> like this family's entire future financial well-being is on the line. And she's like, I lost an afternoon over this, Bess. <laughs> anyway, Nancy did not put the map back. She's got it yeah. in a flipping pocket. Nancy's too smart for that. So they go home. The only problem is Nancy remembers there was something written on the bottom of that boat. And she can't quite remember what it is. It's not really a problem, though, because with the other half of the map, after a short search of the atlas, she's like, oh, yeah, Palm. Yeah, it was Palm. Palm Beach. Palm Island. Little Palm Island. Carson's like, okay, are you sure? Because we're launching an entire expedition. We have to go there. This could be very costly. Nancy's like, yeah, bro. It's all it's I read it on the boat. Because I remember I read it on the boat. <laughs> While Mrs. Chatham was on this trip, she hired two guards. Now, Ellen was already kind of iffy. She couldn't find the guards the night before. So Nancy told her to have Hannah come, come by. Yeah. Carson's out of town. Hannah has nothing to do with her free time. She's just making turkeys for us, just in case. So Hannah goes over and spends the night with Ellen. However, the cook resents that Hannah is even there. You can't have two cooks in one household. I guess. Like, she sa it says that she refuses to let Hannah have anything to make food with. Even a sandwich. So I assume she's also not cooking for Hannah. So Hannah's just like starving over here. So Hannah goes home. Hannah goes home. Ellen still can't find the guards who Nancy says like, weird, that's not a cool thing for private detectives. And Mrs. Chatham's like, no, 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 not private detectives. These were just, they were two men looking for work that the gardener knew. My gardener knew two strong men. This is, so Mrs. Chatham has just hired two just unemployed individuals as her guards. Her gardener did not cover wells that were just, like, open in her yard. He's looking pretty suspicious. Her cook doesn't make people food. <laughs> and, in fact, is so threatened by another cook in the kitchen that he won't even... And I think it's because Hannah is going to notice that he doesn't know how to cook. She's going to be like, can I have a sandwich? And be like, oh, shoot, here you go. And Hannah's going to be like, ah, this is bread, bread, meat. And that's not how a sandwich goes. I know a sandwich is bread, meat, bread, but you should know that too. Didn't you learn that in, in the culinary school of cooking? <laughs> My belief is that Mrs. Cadam, sight unseen, just hires anyone for anything. You're just because someone said so. Unfortunately, Mrs. Chatham obviously does not pay her employees enough because these guards get a better job and just leave their post. They just leave. So Trixie has been kidnapped. Right. There's a ransom note. Mrs. Yeah. <laughs> Chatham does 
not want to pay the money. She specifically says, but I don't want to pay the money. So Nancy runs off without telling anyone where she's going. Figures out, hmm, maybe Trixie is secreted away in one of the secret rooms in that cottage. The one secret room. She runs into the secret room and is immediately knocked out. So when she awakens, she sees a tied up and gagged Trixie. And when she unties and ungags this young girl, the girl says, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I knocked over a croquet mallet. <laughs> I thought you were the bad guy, so I, I knocked over a shelf, and from the shelf fell a croquet mallet. That's what hit you in the head. Reader, if you've ever lifted a croquet mallet, it is not hefty. <laughs> it's not something that should not, like, how low must Nancy's blood sugar be? If a small bonk from a croquet mallet that's just falling off a shelf. This is one of two head injuries of the book for Nancy Drew. It's like one of those like martial arts special points. If you hit just in the right point with a croquet mallet, they're out. So meanwhile, Carson is having a doozy of a time finding a yacht, which is his job. He's called everywhere. There are no yachts available for charter. Fortunately, under Ellen's care, Trixie may have been kidnapped again. Seems so quick after the last one. Tracy's been kidnapped again. No, says Nancy. uh, Maybe she wanted to go to River Heights to see me. Let's drive (laughs) along the road. And that's where they find Trixie. Talking to a strange man. (laughs) Just walking down the road with an adult gentleman who says, oh, I didn't know I was taking her away from her home. Which, like, do you think she lives on the road? Well, Trixie saw that this man was dressed like a captain. And good news, he's a captain. Yeah, he sails the primrose and they can hire it. Yeah. How bad is Carson Drew at finding yachts to sail? If Trixie, this little girl, is faster at finding... Was it just... (laughs) Anyhow. They spent all this time looking into the background of Captain Stryver, making sure he's legit. But then they want to get on the sea so fast that, as to the rest of the crew, Miss Chatham says... As is her want, just hire people sight unseen. Yeah, just hire anybody. (laughs) Should be fine. Again, you guys may be familiar with the plot of Treasure Island. And there's just like so many bad guys out there. (laughs) But before we can hit the sea, we find out the police are hot on Spike's trail. They found out where his apartment is. And Nancy decides she wants to go undercover as a house cleaner, Mrs. Frisbee. She says, no, I don't want a police escort. And then she doesn't tell anyone what she's doing. She goes to his room, talks to his untidy landlady. Dressed like an old lady. She wears an out-of-style dress, old brown shoes, and she uses gray hair powder in her hair. A impenetrable illusion. Yes. And and a fail-safe explanation. You know that tenant who's disappeared for days? Yeah, he asked me to come clean his room. For who, says the landlady? The mice? (laughs) I love, like, we have two halves of a treasure map. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to get from Spike Doty. There's no reason to search his place. The police are on to him. Like, he's the only one the police are like, I know who this is, I'm going to get him. Nancy decides she's found nothing. She must have wasted her whole afternoon. But now she better clean. Precious afternoons. She better clean up just for the housekeeper. Maintain her cover. Landlady. Anyways, 
Unfortunately, we know that downstairs Fred and Irene Brown have shown up wishing to do the same thing. Rifle through Spike's blinds. Just there to continue to menace and try to get in on the plot. (laughs) Well, luckily, guess who saw her get out of her car in the nicer neighborhood and walk to this crappy neighborhood? (laughs) None other than Ned Nickerson, who bursts in the door and is like, Nancy, there are two criminals downstairs. Let's go. So they just kind of do. And then the criminals just kind of leave. And then the landlady's like, what happened just now? I was playing canasta and now this? I wonder if Fred and Irene Brown, and we didn't mention this, but earlier in the book, Hannah got a threatening phone call. Mm-hmm. Threatening that this case should be dropped or Nancy will get hurt. I mean, we, did, we didn't mention it, but it always happens. I wonder if that was Fred and Irene Brown. That seems like a move they would do. But it could also be Spike Doty. It could be Spike. It could be Rourke. It could be Fred and Irene Brown. It could be so many people. It just sounds like a Fred and Irene. It does. Back home, Nancy gets a note offering to sell her back her boat, the Warwick. The note says, I stole your boat because I needed money. I have no one to sell it to. There's important information inside it. I'll give it to you for a few bucks. Ted. (laughs) She decides, oh darn, I thought it must have been Fred or Irene, but this letter is signed by Ted and also has poor grammar. So they must not have stolen the boat. (laughs) What? The note says that she can't drive. She has to walk to this house and she can't call the cops. I want to reiterate that what Nancy's being tricked into believing is that someone stole the boat from her car, found out her name and her address, and (laughs) sent her a note (laughs) saying for a few bucks, like, what? Which she only realizes on the drive over there that it might be a trap. She also had earlier said that this boat was pretty much worthless. But just in case there's something inside it, he said there was information inside yeah, it. Yeah, he told her there was some more information in there. Oh, Lord. Which also seems pretty suspicious. And she's now willing to risk her life, essentially. But she says to Hannah, maybe I won't even have to go inside. Right, they might have curbside pickup. (laughs) So the best part is, having realized on the drive over it's probably a trap, having pulled up in her car when she was supposed to walk, she sees this kid outside who's like, you know, oi, I'm I'm the kid, it's upstairs, and you have to get it from my grandma. And Nancy's like, huh, well, okie (laughs) dokie. She goes upstairs, and it is a red riding hood situation. No joke. She sees the grandma in the bed. The grandma says, do you have the money? Give me the money for the boat. She hands the grandma the money. The grandma leaps out of the bed and tackles her. It's Irene Brown. And who's that in the closet? Fred (laughs) Brown. Clearly, Irene is better at going undercover than Nancy Drew. Grandma, what big criminal intentions you have. (laughs) So tied up, Nancy's forced to write a note telling Hannah to give up the map or she'll be harmed. Now, Nancy's clever enough to write, give them a copy of the map, (laughs) hoping that Hannah will understand her. None of this is very interesting. Ned and Carson rescue Nancy because, again, like, they have the address. Like, everyone knew where she was going, so they didn't (laughs) show up. Carson and Nancy drive home at top speed, leaving Ned to find Nancy's car. But they're still too late. Hannah has already brought Fred and Irene into the house made a copy of the map and given them this copy of the map. She says to Nancy, you told me to give it to them. But it turns out Hannah was just messing with them. She did in fact 
make a bad copy of the map. And she says, I gave Mrs. Brown a map, but it will never do her and her husband any good, and it serves them right. Says Carson, you're as clever as any detective of my acquaintance. So the cops call. They've caught the Browns now. (laughs) Nancy goes to the police station to interrogate them. Well, Irene Brown talks the minute Nancy says, oh yeah, Spike's in here and he turns you in. The police say, hey, we're going to keep this guy around. Kidnapping is a serious charge. So everybody is coming on this cruise. We're finally going to go find the Treasure Island. So this is like the last 20% of the book and this is where the Treasure Island plot starts. Bert says, a treasure hunt on a lonely island should have at least one pirate and I'm applying for the job. Dave says, I'll give you a patch for one eye. Bert and Dave continue to be the most fun characters <laughs> in any of these stories. Once again, proving your theory that Nancy has ADHD, as they approach this beautiful ship that everyone's in awe of, Nancy's attention is immediately diverted by a piece of paper that has blown out from behind a crate. <laughs> it's a clue! It is a clue. It literally is a note that says, Meet you on the dock, Wednesday midnight. Spike. Nancy says, Wednesday. But that's last night. Why would you sign this note? Why yeah, would you write yeah. on it? Why would you write Spike on that? <laughs> Nancy decides there might be a bomb or something aboard. They search the whole boat. There's no bomb. But later, Bess falls and like goes overboard because a gate comes open and Nancy decides that's what they did. They they, they messed with weakened that gate. one gate. <laughs> it's a very romantic night, the first night on the ship. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right? So, sorry. Yes. I just got what that meant. <laughs> so all the couples are pairing off. There's the Burts and the Daves and whatever. But what I find interesting is Ellen and Bill Tomlin go off. There's purported giggling and who knows what else. But like... They're cousins, right? Yes, I believe. If, if Bill Tomlin's <laughs> uncle uncle was her father's brother, it's her uncle too. Well, <laughs> if Hannah can do it. Yes. Ned says, Nancy, since there's no trouble on the primrose, I hope you'll forget about mysteries or treasure until we get to the island. But that's not going to happen. A little bit pushy, Ned. One thing Nancy notices on the way to Treasure Island is a tough-looking sailor whose name she asks for, and it's, um, it's Snorky. Snorky! <laughs> this is... My favorite villain name! Snorky! Uh, this is Snorky the Sailor. Uh, he's a tough-looking customer who Nancy immediately distrusts. He's taken over for the captain who is sick in his room. Yeah, and it seems like, at least according to Bill Tomlin, who's some sort of expert sailor now, he's sailing the wrong way on purpose. Nancy suspects that the cook might be somehow involved. Maybe she's also read Treasure Island. (laughs) (laughs) If the captain is eating something that's making him sick, that's where it would come from. But upon investigation, she finds that who's been messing with the food with his white vial of powdered poison none other than snorky the sailor (laughs) the cook is too nice a guy so she replaces his poison with salt and later ned finds his meal quite salty (laughs) now we have the storm of the book it's a very stormy night on the sea so much so they forget all about snorks even the cook went to his bunk and the cook's (laughs) notorious for never sleeping i guess to tell anyone. Nancy goes to the galley. She has a, a suspicion about the food still. That's where she sees Snorky sneaking away from the galley with a box full of, like, his own snacks. 
so that he doesn't have to eat the food that's been tainted. Because she is alarmed and decides to go tell everyone. And on her way to do so, falls on the stairs because there's a storm going on. Mm -hmm. And knocks herself out again. (laughs) When she awakens, the first thing she says to everyone surrounding her is the ominous, Don't eat the food. (laughs) The captain finds Snorky and makes him test every food. Snorky, like me, will eat anything except (laughs) the split pea soup. Because it's gross, but also because it's poison. So, as you should with split pea soup, they throw it overboard. (laughs) They lock up Snorky. He escapes. What are you going to do? They find a lot more poisoning powder in his cabin, but no other clues. Which I love because, like, that's the clue. (laughs) That's the thing. That's the evidence. Since Snorky escaped, Mrs. Chatham says, how frightful. Now none of us will be safe. They arrive at the island. They find that there's digging all over the beach already. Ah, they've been beat here. The boys go to the land. They catch Spike and Snorky together digging on the beach. Tie him up. And they meet a new character. So this man comes out of the jungle in like a white tuxedo, like it's Fantasy Island. (laughs) And says his name is Hayborn. He owns the land. You can't dig here. I'll keep these prisoners. I, yeah, you know what? Leave these guys with me. Uh, I live here. Go away. (laughs) So the offer is declined. They say, well, you know what? We'll keep the, thank you so much. We'll keep the prisoners. (laughs) Nancy suspects this man may not actually be the island's owner. Yeah, Nancy decides to check it out that night. And Nancy, as usual, was right. We find the man who actually owns the island, who is a naturalist. I thought that meant he didn't wear clothes, but I think it means he studies the floor. (laughs) The young child and the wife, all bound and gagged in different beds. As well as, guess who, but Rourke. Rourke was Mr. Hayborn. Mr. Hayborn wore this big hat and hid his face the entire time because he was Rourke. Nancy saves the day, saves this family. They're like, oh, whatever. Dig everything you want. Have everything you want. Like anyone who's obsessed with nature would say, I'm just here for the flowers. Please excavate as much as you want. Please disturb the environment. For your human needs, please disturb the hell out of this island. (laughs) Now, Nancy reveals a very interesting thing here. It turns out that the villains could have never found the treasure. For when she had lost her copy of the map, she had only lost a copy that she had reversed the directions of. (gasps) Now, this is important for absolutely no reason. They're all caught. (laughs) It's all done. They're caught. But it apparently makes it harder for Nancy herself to read the map because she goes to the wrong place first. Next morning, Nancy groggily wakes up to a crewman whispering down to her that she should come topside because somebody wants to talk to her. She goes up there and sure enough, a burly sailor wants to talk to her. He wants to tell her that Rourke wants to punish her for not minding her own business. And he wraps her up in a sail, a tarpaulin. It sounds like a sail to me. Is that a sail? And throws her overboard. As she is clearly in her last minutes of life, she says to herself, poor dad, and I promised him I would try to be safe. I love that last thought. Like, oh man, (laughs) I promise not to die. (laughs) And she thinks of all her family and friends and that she doesn't want to leave them and she loves them so much. Such a dark moment. Like, I've never actually seen Nancy contemplate the fact that she was about to die. 
she only has enough time. Like, it would be a horrible way to die because she's sinking really fast and she has enough time because enough air is trapped in this sail. But she's not drowning. She's going to suffocate. Well, uh, luckily, good old boy Ned... Followed her again. <laughs> yeah, had just heard all this happening and followed her. He immediately punches the lights out of that sailor. <laughs> Doesn't have time to tackle him, just has to punch him. He and needs to dive in. Dives in and he unwraps and <laughs> saves Nancy. Beth's coming topside, sees them being taken out of the water. Oh my gosh, Beth. <laughs> she comments, they have on regular clothes. What happened? Detective Beth says, I don't think this is a morning swim. Apparently this burly sailor had been told by Rourke that he would get paid for taking Nancy out. <laughs> That's the best part is that we've at this point basically caught all the criminals. <laughs> so this is just a guy who was paid to murder. Though as Bert wisely points out, that sailor's too dumb to know he's just going to be double crossed and would never see a cent. I love that he says it under his breath too. <laughs> Makes it somehow more passive aggressive. Idiot. Like Carl said, the criminals had a bad map. Trixie stole Nancy's bad map copy. But Nancy also reads the right copy wrong. What a goose I've been, she says when she figures it out. Goose detective. <laughs> Luckily, when they get to the right spot, the treasure is indeed found. Hundreds of gold and silver coins, jewelry, rich ornaments from all over the world, all buried, basically, probably a bunch of stolen treasure. Ellen says to her dad, Dad, everything's going to be okay from now on. That's the best happy ending line I've ever heard. It's like, <laughs> it's, everything's good now. Congratulations, handshakes, and thanks were exchanged. Nancy remembers to remind them it was Mrs. Chatham who paid for this trip. How modest. Nancy is given a beautiful jeweled bracelet from the treasure, one of the fine pieces in the collection. I think she got any reward the last few books. Except for, you know, that mystery boner. Except for justice. <laughs> Amateur, indeed. She gets well paid for this one, I think. Yeah. As they enjoy the spoils of their riches, they try to keep the captives from hearing what had happened. But the captives hear nevertheless and are furious with each other for the treasure they've lost. <laughs> Mr. Tomlin Smith says, Nancy traced my brother... The map, the thieves, and the treasure. Nancy says, oh, please stop it. And I just love that throughout this book, they try to sell it as if Nancy is solving more than one case. But it's all part of the same it's case. The one thing. And the only other subplot, something about that inventor, ends up not mattering at all. It's all the one thing. Because usually you have two plots. Yeah. Of course, Trixie and Mrs. Chatham were also very happy, having loved the vacation. All this made Nancy very happy. But at once, she began to long for another mystery. We haven't even gotten off the island. <laughs> and already, Nancy is hoping for our next mystery, the clue in the jewel. Box. Yeah, Tomlin Smith is pretty happy for a man who didn't even want the treasure, but was just hoping to reunite with his twin brother who we found out was dead. He got over it pretty fast. <laughs> Not only is Mr. Tomlin Smith's brother dead, but somehow he is already recovered from his car accident enough to go on this expedition and dig for treasure. Like he was doing some of the digging. So I feel like their family was never in any real danger. As Nancy and Ned gaze at the moon, Ned says to Nancy, Nancy, how about taking your mind off mysteries for a while and thinking of me instead. Nancy laughed mischievously. She gave a mock salute and said, aye aye, sir. Gross. 
I hope we experience more loss and insurance fraud in our next mystery. Till then, I'm Carl. And I'm Hope. And we only want to say, Go Wildcats! We might need to have a special episode about this video game sometime. I have a, we have a, there's a host of video games we can, um, oh, I don't know, put them on our Patreon. Remember to support us at our Patreon. <laughs> you can email us at riverheightsradio at google.com or find our Patreon, River Heights Radio. We'd really appreciate it. Instagram at River Heights Radio. Twitter at River Heights FM. River Heights Radio on Facebook and River Heights Radio on YouTube. Uh, and give us a review or five stars on uh, apple podcast or spotify or stitcher or wherever you're listening yeah if you listen this far i mean why not we actually put a, a lot of hours into